opening the Word of God and turning with me to John chapter 20. John chapter 20. If you need a Bible, there's a red one in front of you. And let me say again, if you don't have a Bible and would like one, feel free to take that one with you, and that can become your very own. I don't know about you. I almost feel like I could go ahead and give an invitation. That's the way the Holy Spirit works. You say, Brother Greg, how do I know when the Holy Spirit's really speaking to my heart? Well, I'll share with you how I know he speaks to my heart. My heart burns within me. And maybe you're here today, and God begins to do a work in your heart, or maybe he has been. I want to encourage you just to simply surrender. Amen? Just surrender to him today. And I believe when it's all said and done, the greatest decision you'll ever make in life is when you give your heart to the Lord Jesus Christ. So I praise God for you. Praise God for that. We have been in Matthew most of the Easter season leading up to last week. Uh, What a joy that was. Um, We had 451 total in worship last Sunday. And uh, that's not a good monitor of a church because... The monitor is who will come back, amen? But I believe the gospel was preached and and spread throughout America and the world last Sunday, and many heard the gospel, and maybe you've come back today simply because uh, you recognize that God's doing something maybe in your life or in the life of this church, and we are delighted to have you here today as our guest. Have you ever said this or thought it? This has been the longest day of my life. This has been the longest class of my life. This has been the longest shift I've ever worked. Oh, now you're looking like you're awful pious. This is the longest sermon I've ever heard in my life. Hey, folks, don't try to fool me. I used to sit right where you sat, and sometimes I thought there's no way I can keep my eyes open. If you've ever had that experience, raise your, no, don't, don't raise your hand, okay? I, I know what it's like, and I also know what it's like to, to think, is he finished already? Because God is speaking to our hearts. This morning, I want to take us to what I believe is the, on, the longest eight days in a person's life. And we'll, and we'll look at that this morning. If you're in John chapter 20, we're going to begin with verse 19. If you're with me, say amen. John 20, 19. Then the same day. What same day? Resurrection day. At evening, before the first day of the week, When the doors were shut where the disciples were assembled, for the fear of the Jews, Jesus came and stood in the midst and said to them, Peace be with you. And when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples saw it and were glad when they saw the Lord. So Jesus said to them again, Peace to you. As the Father has sent me, I also send you. And when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, 
received the Holy Spirit. I want you to circle that. Verse 23. And if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. And if you retain the sins of any, they are retained. I want you to make note of verses 22 and 23. Because if we're not careful this morning, we will leave here and we will think that's the Holy Spirit talked about in Acts chapter 1 and 2. And Jesus is saying that we can forgive sins. Let's see how the Bible answers that, okay? Verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, we have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger into the print of the nails, put my hand into his side, I will not believe. And after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas with them. Jesus came and the doors being shut. He stood and in the midst said, peace to you. Then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here and look at my hands and reach your hand here and put it into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. And Thomas answered and said to him, my Lord and my God. Jesus said to him, Thomas, because you have seen me, you have believed. Blessed are those who have not seen and yet have believed. Look at me. Blessed are those who have not seen yet have believed. So Lord Jesus Help me rightfully divide the word of truth this morning. Thank you for it. Thank you, God, that we not only get to sing about your Holy Spirit, but your Holy Spirit lives in the life of every believer in this place. And God, your Spirit draws and convicts, and your word says if you are lifted up, you will draw all men to yourself. So help us to raise the banner of Jesus Christ this morning. Thank you for your word. In your precious name we pray, amen. Verse 19, something interesting really begins to take place. You'll say, Brother Greg, uh, something interesting. Hasn't something interesting already happened? Absolutely. Victory over death is won in Christ Jesus. Now, the Bible says, then the same day at evening, being the first day of the week, Resurrection Day. It's interesting that when we come to worship King Jesus, look at me, that we come to worship a resurrected Savior. Now, uh, Warren Wiersbe writes in his notes, for hundreds of years, the Jewish Sabbath had been tied to the law. Six days of work, then rest. The Lord's Day... The first day is associated, listen to me, with grace. Well, what do you mean? First of all, faith in the living God is where it begins. And then works follow. You see, religion says, let me do all I can in order to get to heaven. Let me be good enough to get to heaven. Let me be better than you to get to heaven. Christianity says, there's none righteous, no, not one. Jesus is the only way, and you come to God by a relationship through the cross in Christ Jesus, trusting him as your Lord and Savior. Religion says, works. Christianity says, done. 
That's what Jesus did. So when we look at the first day here in Scripture, we're talking about celebrating the resurrected Christ. So brothers and sisters, when we come together to worship at church, we do not come to sit with our hands under our legs and no emotion. We're here to celebrate King Jesus is alive. Amen? He's alive. And the Bible says this changed everything. This changed the last day into the first day. This changes everything because the witnesses and believers of the resurrection began to celebrate the resurrected Lord. You know, there's always going to be religious antagonists in your life. If they're not, they will be. I used to work with a girl who thought Baptists were crazy because we believed in eternal security. I used to work with a lady, and she said, why do you worship on Sunday? Why do you worship on Sunday? And my answer was simply because Jesus is alive. He's alive. And this morning, when you think about this encounter that takes place with the disciples, there's some excitement about him being alive, but there was always also some apprehension because he was no longer with them. So look what happens. They were together. They were assembled for fear of the Jews, verse 19, and Jesus came and stood in the midst. Now, in case you don't understand that, he appears, and he instantly is there. And the first words from Jesus are, peace be with you. I'm going to give you three simple things this morning. The first one is Jesus gives peace. He gives peace. And I love the fact that we're reminded in this chapter and in this passage that our fear cannot lock him out. Now, every now and then, Renee and I will go to bed and, and I'll, we'll, we'll ask, or I'll ask the question, did you, did you lock the door? And she'll say, no, did you? And I'll lay there a minute and I'll say, did, did you lock the car door? And she'll say, no, did you? And then I realized at this point in marriage, I cannot play the baby crying at night card. You get up and take care of the baby. I was going to have to do it. You all know what I'm talking about. So through a dark house, there you go, in your pajamas. Reaching, finding the door. Okay, it's locked, click. Going to the remote, trying to find your car. And then, and then, and then, because I'm a skeptic, I go to the window to look out to see if it lights up. Okay, and then we lay back down and we're secure. Hey, they were there. They were afraid of the Jews. But let me tell you something. They needed affirmation from King Jesus because I can assure you that the presence of Jesus immediately scared them too. And I'm telling you, if we're not careful as a Christian, we will be content with going through worship services without the presence of Jesus. Man, I love what these kids sang this morning. Hey, I love the fact that, Marcia, we sang the old and we sang the new. Amen? So don't be the Christian. Don't be the person who says, I'm not going to sing that. Where did that song come from? I don't know the words to that. 
I'm going to sing that, but I'm going to let it belt when the amazing grace comes on. Holy Spirit, breathe on me. And they're learning those songs. And those, and those are the songs you want your kids to remember as well when they get older. Amen? The presence of God. Listen to me. Jesus gives peace. And if you love that in your Christian life, say amen. And if you don't know that, you can. You can. Even as a Christian. The word here, when Jesus comes and stands in their midst and, and says, peace be with you, is a word called irene. It, it means a rest to join in. Join in my peace. Join me. Rest in me. Now, they knew that this Jesus could calm a storm. They knew that this Jesus could give peace to a man possessed with demons. They knew that he was a, 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 a way maker. They knew that he was a power giver. Uh, Paul writes in Philippians 4 verse 7, and the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will guard your hearts. And let me tell you, if you're not a Christian this morning, if you've never given your life to Christ, you may not understand what that passage means. It may not make sense to you, but he is our peace. Listen to what Paul writes in Romans chapter 5, verse 1. Therefore, having been justified by faith, we have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. So I'm going to have peace with God through our Lord Jesus Christ. The Bible says in Psalm 29, in the Old Testament, the Lord will give strength to his people. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Okay, when I point at you, I want all of you to say peace. You ready? One, two, three. The Lord will bless his people with peace. Now, you remember back in the day when peace signs were big? I'm not talking Richard Nixon, you know. I'm, 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 I'm talking peace, you know, peace. I'm talking bumper stickers. I'm talking bell bottoms. Hey, hey, keep all your clothes, ladies. It's coming back. Everything comes back. Peace. Everybody was looking for peace. Well, according to the Bible that you have in front of you, real peace is found only in Jesus Christ. What do you mean, Brother Greg? These kids will graduate high school. Some will graduate college. We have a few graduating college this year. You'll put your diploma on the wall, and it looks nice and fine for people to see, but I can assure you that will not bring you peace. You get a job and you get a raise. You're making big money. You're making the best money you've ever made in your life. That will not bring you peace. I love to tell other preachers, and I was with some this week, that I believe I have the privilege to pastor the most giving people that you've ever seen in your life. But the truth is, probably some of you are still sitting here and you don't tithe. You will never have peace hanging on to everything, thinking you can manage it better than God can. You'll say, Brother Greg, how do you know that? Because I had good training. I knew what it was like to wake up on Sunday morning and watch my dad write a tithe check when he was unemployed. And to my knowledge as a boy growing up, we never missed a meal. Why? Because God provides. Some of you are living that very same testimony. You could say, that's happened in my life too. Why? Because he's faithful. 
and we're trying to juggle life to make everything fit together so that it's always peaceful. And I'm telling you, brothers and sisters, we are in a battle. We're on a battlefield. And we're living in a day like un, uh, in, none other in history where Christianity, which was viewed as a helpful thing to society, all of a sudden is becoming some kind of negative to happiness. But according to Scripture, real peace comes in Jesus Christ. Isaiah 26, verse 3. You will keep him in perfect peace whose mind is stayed on you. Colossians 3.15. Let the peace of God rule in your heart. Luke 2.29. Do you remember Simeon when he saw Jesus in the temple after he was born? Now, Lord, you're letting your servant depart in peace. And even the psalmist, Psalm 37.37, mark the blameless man and observe the upright for the future of that man is peace. How do you become blameless? How do you become upright? Only through Christ, only through the cross and your faith in Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord. You know, following Jesus' resurrection, shalom became the term for peace. Peace be with you. Peace be with you. And here today, we recognize that Jesus steps into their midst and offers peace. And the Bible says in verse 20, when he had said this, he showed them his hands and his side, and the disciples were glad when they saw the Lord. I'm telling you, I don't believe anybody would stand up in this service today and say, listen, I gave my life to Christ, and I'm sorry I gave my life to Christ. What we get to do, brothers and sisters, is say, thank the Lord, it's the best decision I ever made in my life. And many times I've let Jesus down but not once has he let me down. He is faithful. He brings peace. So he steps in, he shows them his hands and the scars and the side. And when the disciples saw it, the Bible says they were glad. They were glad. And you know what Jesus did? He calmed them with joy. He calmed their hearts with joy. Let me tell you what I love about preaching. I love the distraction of a baby. And I'll tell you why. Because God in the flesh came as a baby. And I want to tell you something, church. Crying babies don't bother me preaching. Because it reminds me of the one who loves me more than anything. Amen? I thank God for that. You know what happened when Jesus rose from the grave? He reminded us that ministry does not sleep. One of the hardest things to get used to as your pastor over the years is laying my head down at night thinking that everything's done and everybody's happy. There's not been too many nights like that. One person said, when you are a leader, you immediately disqualify yourself for a good night's sleep. Those of you in leadership, either ministry or secular, you know exactly what I'm talking about. But Jesus calmed them with joy. What do you mean ministry doesn't sleep? He's getting them ready. The Bible says this is the same day. We're not going to take a week off and then come back and hit it hard. We're not going to take the summer off. We're not going to take uh, the week between Christmas and New Year's off. We're continuing to serve. Why? Because ministry does not sleep. It's like Paul when he got saved. He immediately began to preach the gospel once he received his eyesight back. 
The woman at the well left immediately to tell others what Jesus had done in her life. You see, serving the Lord needs to become a priority in our life, not just something on the list of things I do in life. So Jesus said to them again, peace to you. As the Father sent me, I send you. Listen, when church is over on Sunday, it's not over. The game's not over. I haven't put my time in. I'll see you next week. Listen to me. When church is over on Sunday, the mission field is right outside the door now. And some of you are retired, you take it home to your neighbors. Some of you are working, you take it to the office, to the shop. Those of you in school, you're taking it to your mission field in school. And I'm telling you, you never know what kind of impact God may want to use you for his glory. I love that. He gives peace. What does he give? Okay, number two. He not only brings peace, but he gives power. He gives power. The Bible says, and when he had said this, he breathed on them and said to them, listen, receive the Holy Spirit. Now, that was not anything new. The power of God. Genesis chapter 2, verse 7, God would use a breath. And the Lord formed man out of the dust of the ground, and he breathed into his nostrils the breath breath of life. And man became a living being. I can remember when Drew, our oldest, was born. First, first child, you parents know exactly what I'm talking about. Didn't know babies looked like that when they came out. Didn't know babies were that color when they came out. And uh, Drew was very purple when he was born. He was, he was kind of small. And they, they rushed him over to this light, put him under the light, and put a, an oxygen mask on him. They do something at birth called an APGAR test, I believe it's called, where they kind of grade you. And, uh, or, or just immediate signs to help diagnose. And all of a sudden, his color from that breath that oxygen started to get pinky. Do you know what some of us need? Listen to me. Some of us blue Christians this morning need a little dose of the fire of the Holy Spirit reminding us that we're saved. Reminding us that we're saved. You say, Brother Greg, that sounds like Pentecostal. Amen. Amen. Acts 2 is Pentecostal. And I can assure you in heaven... It's going to be a time of worship and praise forever and ever that we'll never get tired of, that, that we'll long for, and it will be peace and power that we've prayed for. And in this passage, God reminds those that serve him that he will give power. Now, when you look at this verse, he breathes on them and says to them, receive the Holy Spirit We need to be reminded of something. Does it not take the Holy Spirit, for instance, for a person to be saved? Uh, you'll say, what do you mean, Brother Greg? The Bible says the Holy Spirit convicts, reproves. The Holy Spirit can crack the toughest nut. The Holy Spirit can bring a tear down the toughest cheek. You know, I, don't, I, I never saw my... My, my papaws would be uh, 
the tale of two tales. One of them was a hardened farmer. I never saw him soft. His way of showing my mom, who was the oldest of four, how much he loved him was by how hard he worked for him to provide, and he did well. My papa Jackson, my dad's dad, if you want to know what he looked like, just think about my dad. He had Cherokee Indian in him. Oh, it wasn't uncommon at all for him to talk, and tears streamed down his cheek, and it would run into a tobacco stain about right here. Are you with me? Then he would take that tobacco plug and hold over the plastic and stick it in the top pocket of some overalls. I'm telling you, folks, the Holy Spirit is alive and well. And when you think about the peace of God that we pray for, we need to be praying for the power of God. Now, let me remind you of something. Next Sunday night, we begin revival in May on Sunday nights. We've, I've invited three different preachers who are going to bring their churches. I believe, uh, and they're all going to preach different nights. Next Sunday night, it's going to be Rudy Allen. Rudy, Rudy grew up in this church. Rudy grew up in Camden. Why in the world would I have to beg us to be at Revival? I'm asking you to be here and make a commitment to do so. As a matter of fact, if you're not here, I'm going to call you next Sunday night and say, get here. I'm not going to do that. What I am going to say is, don't you be Timothy and read about what God wants to do on your Facebook page. I'm telling you, folks, I believe God's up to something big, and I want you to be part of it. And I want to show these other three churches that we've invited, this is the way God does things in Camden, Ohio. Welcome. Amen? Make plans. I'll see. Let me see if a golf tournament finishing on Sunday. I don't care. I'll see. I've been a little tired. Uh, listen, I just told you, sometimes a half hour can seem like eternity. You come sleep here. Because I believe it's the power of the Holy Spirit that can wake up a sleeping Christian. It can wake up a sleeping church. Well, when I look at this passage, it kind of goes hand in hand. The Bible, Jesus says, receive the Holy Spirit. And then he says, if you forgive the sins of any, they are forgiven them. If you retain the sins of any, they are retained. Is Jesus saying to his disciples that, that you now have the Holy Spirit promised in Acts at Pentecost? Do you now have that and... Do you have the power to forgive the sins of man? And the answer based on Scripture would be no. It's a picture of what's about to come. He's not saying that a Christian can forgive anyone of sin. You don't see that in the Bible. But what we do see is he gives the believer boldness to declare the truth. And in declaring the truth, if you receive Jesus, you're forgiven. And declaring the truth, if you deny Jesus... You're still in your sins. That's what the Bible says. The believer can boldly claim the finished work of Jesus on Calvary's cross. Now, an example would be in Matthew. Jesus says, I'm giving you, Peter, the keys to the kingdom. Representing the believer, we believe. To declare what's bound on bound or loosed in heaven, will be loosed on earth. 
It's the passage where Jesus says he will build the church and the gates of hell will not prevail against it. But when you look at the context of Matthew 16, it is moving right into Matthew 18, which deals with church discipline. Well, what do you mean? Based on God's word, the body had the right to declare, listen, truth and response based on the word of God, not based on their own judgment, but based on what the Bible says, the principles of the word of God. The believer can share, uh, share the message, and the message is rejected. And in rejecting the message of Christ, we are still in our So don't go out of here today thinking that believers can save anybody. I cringe when I hear people say things like this. Uh, when did you give your life to Christ? Uh, well, Gene saved me back in 1994 when he came to my house. I believe they mean well in saying that. But folks, no man saves anybody other than the Lord Jesus Christ. And the Holy Spirit of God is used for conviction in that. He not only gives peace, he gives power. Power. He not only gives, okay, he not only gives, he gives power. Power. He not only gives, he gives power. Power. And I'm telling you, it's the power of God that changes things. It's the power of God that changes things. And you're saying, well, Brother Greg, I wrestle with peace. I can't lay my head down and just rest. I'm telling you, it's the power of God that can give you that peace that you need. Are you with me? I love that. But something happens in this story. Verse 24. Now Thomas called the twin, one of the twelve, was not with them when Jesus came. The other disciples therefore said to him, now, I, this is the same group of disciples that the gospels say after they had, they broke bread with Jesus on his way to Calvary, they started talking about who's so great. Who's, who's the greatest among us? Uh, who'll sit to the right of the Lord? Man, I'm telling you, I see a difference in attitude when I look at where they're at right here. They said in verse 25, to who? To Thomas. We have seen the Lord. I believe if this had been taken place, if this conversation was prior to the cross, they would say, Thomas, you missed it. Thomas, where were you? You missed it. Now, I see humility now. We have seen the Lord. So he said to them, unless I see in his hands the print of the nails and put my finger in the print of the nails and put my hand into his side, I will not believe. Let me give you what I believe is the longest eight days in a man's life is the eight days leading up to the next encounter with Jesus. Verse 26, after eight days, his disciples were again inside and Thomas was with them. Jesus came, the doors being shut, and stood in the midst of them and said it again, peace 
to you. And then he said to Thomas, reach your finger here, look at my hands, reach your hand into my side. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Do not be unbelieving, but believing. Number three, apart from the Holy Spirit, you cannot minister effectively. We can be busy, but not effective. We can work hard, be a mile wide and an inch deep. I don't know where Thomas has been. The Bible doesn't say in those eight days. It doesn't say why he wasn't there. Perhaps there was a valid reason, but I can't help but think that the, the message of the lesson here in Scripture is the fact that he was not there rather than what, why he wasn't. The fact is that he wasn't there. One of my fears of living life and being your pastor and dying and standing before God is hearing this. Listen carefully. Who told you to do that? Folks, I'm going to tell you something. If we begin to delete some things off the calendar when it comes to busyness, we might be able to make some room for the most important things. Some of you are always busy. That's nobody's fault but your own. Nobody controls your schedule but you. And if you let somebody else make it, they will. They, if you let somebody else fill in a blank, they will. And before long, we can feel like ministry that's juggling plates and spinning plates and juggling balls and thinking we're making everybody happy and then maybe one day not hearing, well done, good and faithful servant, hearing the question, who told you to do that? And I want to remind you this morning, Many of you know Brother Hawker, who is at Higher Heights, is retired now. I love the fact when I would see Brother Hawker, he would say things like this out in public. We're not, we're not uh, in competition with one another. We're just trying to reach people with the gospel. That's the way I feel. We're not in competition with somebody else. We're not in competition with the church in the suburb. We're not in competition with where I came from or where you came from. Folks, listen, God has called us uniquely here. And he's saying, I can give you peace, but man, I can give you power, but you will minister ineffectively if you think you can do it without me. We received a, a call. Boy, don't, this is a, a, a preacher perk. I received a call last week, right before Easter, and the person said, do you like blackberry pie? I said, I do. They said, Okay. And they delivered to me one of the best pies I've ever had in my life. You're, you're saying, Brother Greg, wait, what'd you do? We served it at Easter, but I could care less what the rest of the family thought about it. It sure was a blessing to me. And see, what we do sometimes is we hold our finger up and we, we gauge what everybody else is doing. And I have a feeling... If the Holy Spirit speaks to one heart transparently through the word of God, then God is pleased with that worship, even if I didn't get a thing out of it. You know, we just sang a song about, is he worthy, is he worthy? Before we sang that in the early service, I told the kids, you're singing Revelation 5. 
and he is worthy. And he is worthy. So Jesus gives peace, but he also gives power. The Holy Spirit, through the power of God, listen, helps us to minister effectively. Number four, God keeps his promises. Do you love, I love that. I love that. Because he said he would see them post-resurrection. He said, look for me on the other side of the resurrection. He said, he said I'll, I'll meet, meet me in Galilee. Those were the promises of King Jesus. And it would have been very easy, since Thomas was not here, Thomas is going to miss it all. But Jesus knew exactly what Thomas needed. When he appeared in the room the second time, it doesn't say that he began a big conversation with the other disciples. He goes directly to Thomas and says, here it is. He knows what you need, whether you ask for it or not. Some of you need to be forgiven of your sin. You need to be saved. Some of you walked down an aisle, but you were never truly saved. And you're wondering, where's the power? I don't sense the presence of God. Could it be that I don't have it? You say, Brother Greg, how dare you say that? Folks, I'm glad a preacher told me that when I was a 14-year-old boy. I sat in every service. I was in as much church as any of you are. And the Holy Spirit of God convicted me and said, listen, it's time to get right and quit worrying about what everybody else thinks. So I'll close with this. God keeping his promises. After eight days, they're again inside. Jesus appears and says, peace to you. He reaches his finger. He pulls Thomas's hand, says, here it is, here it is. And Thomas says, Lord, I believe. Let me give you just a few bullet points about the promises of God in this story. Here's the first one. Don't miss an encounter with Jesus. Now, I really believe when I said don't read about revival on social media, I really believe that we have some great Christians on social media. There are a lot of faithful folks that cannot come to church. But don't tell me how much you love Jesus if you are physically able and never go to church. You say, Brother Greg, we don't like you. I, folks, that, we laugh at that, but that's a dagger to my heart when there is conflict knowing somebody doesn't like me. Well, Brother Greg, somebody made me mad at church. You look hard enough, somebody will make you mad. Well, Brother Greg, we don't like the contemporary stuff. Folks, we're not even close to being contemporary. Well, well Brother Greg, I'll just stop there. Okay? Hey, listen, don't, don't, let, don't let the devil use that stuff. Ask the Lord to give you peace. Somebody makes you mad years ago, ask the Lord, when I see Jeremiah, God, help me forgive, and you didn't do anything to me, but, but help me forgive Jeremiah. Help me just get over that. Okay? See, prior to the cross, the disciples were arrogant. Who's going to be the greatest in your kingdom? But I'm telling you, something really changes after Jesus died and raised from the grave. They don't seem to be so cocky. Saw somebody that recently lost everything in a tornado. This was the interview. 
we have lost everything. There's not one picture left. We've lost everything. And I'm telling you, if you really want peace and you really want to sense the power of God, you have to come to the point where you take him at his word and you trust his promise that he'll save you if you give him everything. Don't miss an encounter with Jesus. Don't let somebody tell you about revival. Well, I don't do evening services. It's not getting dark now to about 8 o'clock or later. I don't know what time. Here's another thing that they recognize in this passage. The wounds were meant to be more than an ID bracelet. They were reminders of the price paid. Here's another thing I see in the life of Thomas. Respond when grace knocks. There's no guarantee it's going to happen again. Well, Brother Greg, I'll just do my thing and reject Christ and live however I want to live, and I'll pop into church one day, or I might even come to revival, and then I know that God will save me. There's no guarantee that the Holy Spirit will do tomorrow what he's doing right now. And then, verse 28, Peter answers, or I'm sorry, Thomas answers, and said to Jesus, my Lord and my God. We've got to own our faith. You've got to own it. It's not mom and dad. It's not grandma and grandpa who, who get you to heaven. It's a personal decision. You make it. You surrender. You trust the Lord. You give it all to him. The other day I went to the bank and you know some of these Brinks trucks that haul money? I got to the bank, and, and they pulled up with this armored vehicle about the time I got there. I mean, it, it was like the armored vehicle from Mayberry when, when Barney was playing that big heist and, or was protecting it. And I thought, well, that's interesting. I wonder how much they're taking out or bringing in. And then as I began to leave, they left the same time I left. And I opened the door for the guy who was pulling a, a dolly, pushing it, and, and I, I thought I'd be cordial and say, how are you today? He didn't look at me. He didn't say a word. He was on a mission. He was, he was on business. This is not cordial time to stop and talk. I've got, I've got it all right here. And I'm telling you, listen, Jesus took the time. He stopped by to give you a look at Calvary's cross. And the Bible says when you come to him, your life will be forever changed, but you have to own it yourself. You have to recognize who you are. If you're not a Christian this morning, you're lost. If you die without Jesus Christ, you're not getting to heaven in the next life. You will die lost, separated from God. We believe in a real place called hell. I've never met anybody who says I want to go to hell. I've met a lot of people who didn't realize that if they died without Jesus Christ, that's where you go. So I simply want you to bow your heads. If you're here today and you're a Christian, maybe you say, Brother Greg,